Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, Jesus made a summary and definitive statement about the whole reason for the Christian faith. In that wonderful verse, Luke 4, verse 43, Jesus said, I must preach the gospel about the kingdom of God to the other cities also. That's the reason why God commissioned me. Now, that's an eye-opening verse. It opens up the entire mind of the Messiah for us, the reason for his whole mission, the reason, therefore, for Christianity itself is the preaching or the proclamation of the good news or gospel concerning the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God was a well-known phrase in first-century Palestinian Judaism when Jesus came into Galilee, according to Mark 1 and verses 14 and 15, he urged people to repent in view of the fact that the coming of the kingdom was drawing near. Repent and believe in the good news about the kingdom of God, Jesus said in Mark 1, verse 15. And so repentance, that's to say, reorientation of one's entire life to a new horizon, a new set of ideas, a new lifestyle, and a new philosophy of life, all of that is predicated on the great fact of the future that Jesus laid before his audiences, namely the future coming of the kingdom of God. Now, that phrase, kingdom of God, was not the nebulous phrase that it sometimes appears to be in the minds of Bible readers today. No, the kingdom of God was about as well known as the Constitution of America or the Tower of London in England, or should we say the Declaration of Independence. The kingdom of God was the great national hope of the people of Israel, Constantly in the Hebrew prophets, those prophets that we have compiled for us and collected in the canon of the Old Testament, constantly they had spoken of a day coming when God would judge the earth, when he would intervene and alter once and for all dramatically and decisively the affairs of mankind on this earth. There was coming a time of great restoration when the ills of our world when the problems that plague us would be forever put to an end, and the Messiah, as God's accredited representative, would be sent back to this earth to reorganize our planet on a sane and sound basis. That's what's meant by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in the Bible is not just a vague hope of salvation in your heart now. It's not just a set of principles held in your mind at the present time. It's not even mainly a society of righteous people. No, it mainly means that new order of affairs on the earth to be established and inaugurated when Jesus comes back in power and glory. That's why Jesus urged his followers to pray always, Thy kingdom come. Now, it must be obvious that you don't pray for something to come which has already come. It's equally obvious that Joseph of Arimathea in Mark chapter 15, verse 43, was still waiting for the kingdom of God, even after the ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, the question arose about when the kingdom of God was going to come. In Luke chapter 19, and verse 11 and following, 
you will find that Jesus was standing in the vicinity of the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. And so his audiences naturally said, has the time now arrived for the kingdom of God to be established? They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And Jesus then gave them a vital piece of instruction. He said that he was like a nobleman who had to disappear to leave the earth first to receive his authority to reign in the kingdom and then to return. And in his absence, his faithful followers were to develop their talents. Now, when Jesus returned as the nobleman from heaven in order to take up the kingdom in which he'd been authorized to rule, he was going to review the work of his various followers and to assess their success according to how well they had utilized their talents while the king was away. To those servants who had performed well for their master, the master then said, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, take authority over ten cities. Now that was to be then the kingdom of God, the new order of things on the earth, which all the Hebrew prophets had envisaged. So Jesus, in speaking of the kingdom of God, must have used that term as his audiences would have understood the phrase. It makes no sense at all that Jesus would come into Galilee saying, Repent and believe in the good news about the kingdom of God, and then leave his audiences entirely in the dark about what the kingdom of God meant. The kingdom of God was the new government, the government to be established by God, a divinely instituted government in which the Messiah would be the ruler, the prince, under God's authority. Now the question arises, would this divinely instituted government this revolutionary empire to be established by God through his Messiah, would that empire arise gradually? Would it gently spread across the earth? Or would it come by a catastrophic intervention on the part of the Creator? Well, Psalm number 2 in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, had clearly pictured how the kingdom of God would come to be on the earth. May I read you some of that Psalm too? in order to gain the flavor of what would have been meant by the coming of the kingdom of God. Psalm 2 reads like this, Why are pagans seething, nations vainly plotting, headed by kings of the world and by monarchs making plans against the Eternal and His Messiah? And they're crying, Let us snap their ties and fling off their control. From His position in heaven, God laughs. The Lord mocks at them, and then in wrath he speaks to them and scares them with his fury. Let me tell you the Lord's edict. I have installed my king on Zion, on my sacred hill. Let me tell the Lord's message. You are now my son. This day I have become your father. Ask, and I will make you master of the pagans, lord over all to the ends of the earth. You can maul them with an iron mace and shatter them like potter's ware. And so, kings, be wise. You rulers of the world, take warning. Worship the Lord reverently, shudder and submit to him. Do homage to his son truly, lest he be angry and you end in ruin, because his anger quickly flames. Happy are all those who shelter beside him.
I was reading there from Psalm 2 in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Now, that psalm was well known amongst the Jewish people as depicting how the great kingdom of God would arrive. It would arrive only by divine intervention, and it would involve subduing opposing governments and rulers and the establishment of the Son of God, the Messiah, on Zion, that's to say, in Palestine, in Jerusalem, as the capital of the new kingdom. No wonder, then, that the people in Jesus' time, when Jesus was near Jerusalem, they imagined that the kingdom of God was going to be established there and then. Jesus' essential lesson in the parable of the nobleman was that the kingdom would not be established until Jesus had first departed to heaven, and that only at his return would the kingdom be inaugurated in Jerusalem as all the prophets had envisaged it. Now, the point of our discussion is simply this, that the term kingdom actually means kingdom or empire. It's not some so-called spiritual kingdom just in your heart. It's a concrete, real, material kingdom to be manifested on this earth at the second coming of Jesus. That's the primary meaning of the word kingdom. That's the explicit and essential meaning of the word kingdom in the phrase kingdom of God. The gospel then for Jesus' audiences was an announcement as well as a warning about God's coming intervention to alter the nature of politics in this earth finally and forever. Listen, for example, to another passage in the Psalms which depicts that great day coming. Psalm 96 reads like this, Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing all the earth to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise Him. Day after day tell of His saving aid. Let the heathen hear His glory. Let every nation know His wonderful acts. For great is the Lord, loudly to be praised and to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Grandeur and majesty attend him. Splendor and power are in his sanctuary. Praise the Lord, O families of the nations. Praise the Lord for his glory and his might. Praise the Lord for his own open glory. Enter his courts with an offering. Kneel before God in sacred vestments. Tremble before him all the earth. Proclaim to the pagans that the Eternal has become king. He has steadied and settled the world. He will rule the nations justly. Let the skies be glad. Let earth rejoice. Let the sea and all within it thunder its praise. Let the land and all it holds exult. Let all trees of the forest sing for joy at the Lord's presence. Because he's coming. He's coming to rule the earth, to rule the world with justice and the nations faithfully. That was from Psalm 96 in the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. It's a picture there of the coming in power and glory of God, as we find out later in the New Testament, through the instrumentality of his Messiah, coming nevertheless to establish government, fair government, sound and sane government on this earth. He's coming to rule the world. Psalm 96, verse 13. And in that sequence of psalms there from 96 onwards, we'll find the constantly repeated chorus that the Lord has become king. 
We're referring there to a future time when God will have taken up the power of government over the earth through his Son, the Messiah, whom he intends to set on Zion in Jerusalem as ruler of the world, according to Psalm 2. Now, the important point to be gathered from this discussion is that the term kingdom of God, as Jesus introduced it in his gospel announcement, comes with a whole history from the Old Testament. Jesus, you see, was a Jew, and his whole thought pattern was developed within the setting of Jewish thought. Now, if we're unfamiliar with the way Jews of the first century thought, it's extremely difficult for us to relate sympathetically to the teaching of Jesus our Savior. Jesus preserved intact the whole system of thinking which he and his contemporaries as Jews had received from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Just like his contemporaries, Jesus believed that the present world order was going to be followed by another world order known as the kingdom of God or the government of God. And it was the announcement of that coming world order to which Jesus referred in his gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. I've written a book on the kingdom of God. I'd be happy to send you a free copy for your own personal Bible study at home. We invite you to check our findings carefully against the Bible text that we've been quoting. Remember always in your studies that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood in his own first century Jewish context. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.